Hello there, folks. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Undercover Bubble Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moore, and I'd like to thank you for joining me yet again to take a deep dive into this interesting thing that we call the conservative media bubble. So first off, I'd like to address the elephant in the room, which is, of course, the two weeks that I've been on hiatus. So for those of you who don't follow my Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or anything like that, for the first week that I took off, that was the week that Jacob Blake got shot in the back seven times point blank by a white police officer. And of course, there was all the uproar and controversy over that. And at some point in the show, I'll get into how the bubble responded to that. But spoiler alert, it's pretty much the same as they've responded to every other instance of black men being shot by white officers, which is he must have been doing something wrong. Look at his criminal record. He was probably reaching for a knife. What about the violence against police? All lives matter. All the people in the streets are thugs and Antifa and want to bring down America and just that whole thing. So I won't get into it too much. But in any case, the reason I didn't have an episode that week was because I thought it was more important for other people's voices other than mine to be more amplified. So uh, for context, I'm a white man. I live in a very predominantly Republican suburban neighborhood. So as a white man, I don't and never will know the pain and the suffering and just the fear that every black person in America has to live with just because of the color of their skin. And what happened to Jacob Blake, what happened to Breonna Taylor, what happened to Amon Arbery, what happened to George Floyd, what happened to every single person who's been a victim of racist violence, whether it's by policemen or not, this is just a microcosm of what's been happening for decades. And I've already explained this on the show before. There's just this collective frustration among black people in particular that the system, by which I mean the American sociopolitical system, is actively working against them. The system itself is so undeniably racist that they're afraid to step outside their doors to go to the grocery store because they might get pulled over and arrested or killed by the people who are supposed to protect them. But my point is that I am not the right person to be talking about these issues. Now, I do want to talk about these issues to anyone who will listen, but as I said, I'm a white man living in a suburban neighborhood populated predominantly by other white people in an overwhelmingly Republican district. So I am not the right person to be discussing these issues right now. The voices that should be being amplified instead of mine on those issues are these black and brown people who have to deal with this every day and probably have way more interesting and poignant things to say than I do. So that's why I didn't have a show that first week, because I wanted to sort of seed the time that someone might spend listening to me to other people who had a more important voice than mine in this ongoing struggle for racial equality. So that's why there was no episode the first week that I was off. And the week after that, 
I unfortunately developed another illness. No, it wasn't COVID, so you don't need to worry about me dying or anything. But it was a health issue. All I'll say is that it was bad enough that it made me not want to do anything else, including watching Fox News. So I just decided to take another week off to write myself. And at the end of it, I also got a little bit of a sore throat. So I was going to do sort of a later episode last week, but by the time I got over the sore throat, it was late enough in the week that I figured I might as well just wait till Saturday and do my normal episode two weeks later. So again, I apologize if you were looking forward to listening to me the last couple of weeks, but I can tell you I'm feeling great now. I'm back on track and hopefully I'll be able to do one new episode a week at least until the election in November. So that's the plan, folks. I hope you all follow along with me and we make some interesting discoveries about the right-wing media together. So without further ado, I'm just going to jump right into some of the stuff that I missed over the last two weeks, beginning with the RNC. So the RNC was pretty much exactly what we would expect out of the right-wing media at this point, which is lots of putting Trump up on a pedestal and downplaying Biden's accomplishments and basically saying how old and senile and corrupt he is and that he is now a puppet of the left wing that is going to socialize and destroy humanity. Be afraid. And it was kind of ironic, actually, because in the week before, during the DNC, the main complaint that the RNC had had about what the Democrats did was that it painted this bleak, dystopian picture of America where freedoms are being limited and black people are being slaughtered in the streets. And, you know, it's not like that. So when we do our RNC, we're going to paint a picture of America as this glorious nation on a hill that everyone can aspire to. We're going to be more positive. So they promised that they were going to be more positive. And then when it was their turn in the spotlight, the Republicans basically did the exact opposite. They painted America as this nation run wild, especially in these democratic cities like Portland, where rioters and looters and Antifa are running rampant, and soon they'll be in your homes, and Donald Trump is the only one that can save you. Be afraid. But I'm not going to talk much about that because I've already been through that on this show before. You can listen to the archives if you want to hear my thoughts on that. But... What I do want to talk about, in particular, about the RNC, was the last night. And it's not so much about what Trump said or what anybody else on the stage at the White House, which, by the way, is against the ethics code, and he absolutely shouldn't have done it, and it's completely despicable that he would use his presidential pulpit as a means to campaign for himself. It's not only wrong, it's against the rules. But after Trump spoke, and Trump did his usual thing of me good, Biden old and senile, Democrats bad, Democrats want to destroy the country, Democrats are run by the hard left and Antifa, and they support the rioters, and you know, that that, that usual thing that he likes to do. But after he was done speaking, I saw, and I'm not making this up, the most incredulous completely insane thing that I've ever seen any politician do. So after Trump's speech was done, everyone started clapping and stood up and cheered and all that. You know, that's normal. 
even in this time of pandemic when they shouldn't have been in a big crowd they were no masks no social distancing and i side note i kind of wonder how many covid cases resulted from that but anyway everyone turned around looked out towards the washington monument and in came the fireworks and i'm not talking you know kind of stadium fireworks that you might see when a dodger player hits a home run or something no this was a full-blown grandiose fireworks display from the washington monument so basically taking an iconic piece of american history and using it as his own personal fireworks stand and not only that the fireworks that came up from the washington monument they weren't just any fireworks they were fireworks specifically shaped in the words trump 2020 and then after those fireworks came up they would come up a couple more times throughout the fireworks show but there was literally like a 15 to 20 minute fireworks show just for trump from the washington monument specifically tailored to his name this was trump literally putting his name on america and, you know, you've probably heard the jokes that, oh, if Trump had control of the White House, he'd probably plaster his name on it and call it the Trump House and paint it gold and all that. This was that happening in real life. This was Trump taking a symbol of America itself, like probably one of the most iconic symbols of America around the world, and literally plastering his name over it, basically saying, this is not America. This is Trump land. I am America now. Look at me. I am America now. It was literally the most self-centered thing I have ever seen a politician do in my entire life. And that includes everything Trump has done up to this point. But he wasn't done. Once the fireworks show was over, mercifully, everyone turned back around, kept clapping and congratulating him. And while they were doing this, a classical trio appeared on the balcony of the White House, almost as if it were some sort of romantic comedy. And this mustachioed Italian dude started singing opera. If you hadn't have seen the White House in the background, you'd think you were maybe at one of the lavish parties that I'm sure Trump throws at his big country clubs. Trump literally turned the White House and... The monuments of Washington, D.C., basically America itself, into his own personal country club. And at the time when I was watching this, my jaw was absolutely slack on the floor. I could not believe my eyes. And I've seen a lot of weird stuff since this presidency started. It got to the point where my roommate, who was watching it with me, actually turned and asked if I was okay. And my answer was, no, I wasn't okay. I was not okay with the President of the United States using America's oldest symbols of freedom and sovereignty and patriotism as his own personal yard sign that's visible to the entire country. And 
to do this at a time when there's so much civil unrest over the fact that people are abusing their power and people are literally dying in the streets because these people are abusing their power. Just the unbelievable hubris that it would take to do something like this. The narcissism just absolutely blows my mind. And I can't imagine what was going through the minds of all those people who watched this thinking that, oh, maybe Biden has his chance. Biden might beat Trump. And then Trump literally plasters his name on America. I'm not saying Biden can't win. In fact, I'd say Biden has a pretty good chance of winning. But it's just it's very, very clear what Trump was trying to do with this. Trump was basically trying to send the message to the Democratic Party that America is mine. I am America now. And there's nothing you can do about it because I'm the one in the White House. So I I just had to say something about that because it absolutely blew my mind. I was speechless while I was watching it and it really did take me this long to sort of formulate my thoughts on what happened and mold them into an actual structured sentence that I could say to people. So anyway, I did have one more thought on the RNC and that was on the coverage of the bubble afterwards. And I thought it was really interesting because after Trump's speech was done and Fox News, of course, showed the whole 15-minute fireworks show and the first couple of songs done by the classical trio and the opera singer. But once they went back to the panel, what the members of the panel said really surprised me in a good way. And they didn't talk about the hubris that we just saw with what Trump did with the monument and the fireworks and the White House. They didn't talk about that at all. They strictly just talked about the substance of Trump's speech. And from what they said, they were not impressed. This was the first time in a long time that I've ever seen Fox News really sort of bite into anything Trump did. Usually, even if they don't approve of something, they'll typically find some convoluted way to either support it or denigrate the other side. But with Trump's speech, they basically said he didn't do anything that would impress anybody. This was all just the same stuff that he's been saying on the campaign trail. And he needed to electrify his base. He needed to do something that would contrast himself with Joe Biden's speech, which was a lot better. Even though it was read off a teleprompter and that's it's so ridiculous. I'm going to go back to the teleprompter thing for a second because I cannot believe how much they harp on this on Fox News and Breitbart and all these other right wing media sources. They hate the fact that Joe Biden uses a teleprompter in his speeches at least once a day when I'm watching Fox News, I see someone say, oh, well, Joe Biden, well, good for him. He can read stuff off a teleprompter. Well, the remarks he said today were okay, but he did read them off a teleprompter. Well, it seems like the new Biden thing to do is to read things directly off the teleprompter. And why is this such a big deal? 
It makes no sense to me at all. I mean, every single candidate for president has used a teleprompter, including Trump. And yes, Trump does go off the teleprompter far more than anybody else I've ever seen. But usually that's not a good thing. And I would say for Trump, it's definitely not a good thing. But they rip Biden for it anyway. And I think the reason they do that is because by saying that, oh, well, Biden reads a speech off a teleprompter over and over and over again, as I've said many times before, say something often enough and loud enough. And no matter how crazy it sounds, people will eventually believe it. They're trying to instill this narrative that Joe Biden reads his speech off the teleprompter because he's too senile to do anything else and he needs direct access to what he's going to say. But anyway, going back to the original point I was trying to make, sorry, I went off on that tangent there. Fox News did not like Trump's speech. And as much as they tried to say, oh, well, he looked presidential and the ceremony was great and the fireworks were spectacular and all this stuff. When it came to the actual substance of Trump's speech, they basically said he didn't do good enough. He needed to do great, and he just did fine. So it was very interesting that Fox would actually make the choice to say that he did a bad job when they know that he's going to be watching that coverage later. And from what I remember, I don't think he said anything about that later on. But everybody, even Karl Rove, the great cheerleader of the Republican Party for the last 20 years, he said he did a bad job. And just the fact that someone like Karl Rove would say something like that about the sitting Republican president on Fox News in prime time, it's interesting. And to be clear, after that little 10 to 15 minute segment of them saying that he didn't do a good job. It went to Laura Ingram and Laura Ingram basically called it one of the greatest conventions ever, you know, in true Laura Ingram fashion. And after that, they never mentioned his speech again, pretty much the entire time I watched Fox news over the last two weeks. So it's clear that not only did they indeed think that he didn't do a good job, they wanted to move past it as quickly as possible so that people would just forget about it. And by people, I'm sure they mean Trump. So anyway, moving on to the next week, the big thing was that Trump did a bunch of interviews in which he promoted conspiracy theories. And I'd like to go into a couple of those and how the bubble reacted to them. So the big one that everyone was talking about that week occurred on Monday when Trump was interviewed by Laura Ingram. And you can probably already see that this is going to be a little off the deep end just because we have Queen Karen interviewing him. But we all know that Trump loves to dabble in conspiracy theories and in a lot of cases more than dabble and actively openly support them. So we all know that he was the originator of the birther conspiracy that Obama was secretly born in Kenya he has said many times that global warming is a hoax that's created by China to boost their economy and hurt the United States. And, of course, that the Clintons had Jeffrey Epstein murdered in prison to protect Bill from his pedophiliac tendencies. So, anyway, we all know those are all complete BS. But 
he might have topped them all with this whopper that he delivered to Laura Ingram on Monday. So I'm just going to go ahead and play the audio for you, and you can make your own judgments as to what he's trying to say. Who do you Take think control. is pulling Biden's strings? Uh, is it former Obama People officials? that you've never heard of. People that are in the dark shadows. People that... Oh, what does that mean? That sounds like conspiracy theory. Dark shadows. No, what people that? that you haven't heard of. They're, they're people that are on the streets. They're people that are controlling the streets. We had somebody get on a plane from a certain city this weekend. And in the plane, it was almost completely loaded with, with thugs wearing these dark uniforms, black uniforms with gear and this and that. They're, they're on a plane. Where's the where's this, I'll tell you sometime, but I, I, it's under investigation right now. But they came from a certain city, and this person was coming to the Republican National Convention. And there were like seven people on the plane like this person, and then a lot of people were on the mm-hmm. plane to do big damage. They were coming from planning for Washington. Yeah, this was all. This is all happening. But and the money is coming from somewhere. Money is coming when, from. How can it be from tracked? some very stupid rich people that have no idea that if their thing ever succeeded, which it won't, they will be thrown to the wolves. So if you didn't get all that, I'll go ahead and paraphrase it for you real quick. So what Trump is saying is that there was a group of people bankrolled by rich Democrats who got on a plane with Antifa gear on specifically to go to the RNC and do damage. Basically saying the Democratic elite is bankrolling Antifa activists to cause mayhem for the Republicans and to incite chaos and violence. And the craziest part about this is that he drags Biden into it. At the very beginning, you'll notice the original question that Laura Ingram asks him is about who's pulling Biden's strings from behind the scenes. And Trump answers, these people in dark shadows. So, to reiterate, we have Joe Biden being controlled by very stupid rich people in dark shadows who are also bankrolling a plane full of thugs dressed in Antifa gear to go down to Washington, D.C. during the RNC and cause violence and incite chaos. Just think about how insane that sounds for a second and then realize that a good amount of the right and a good amount of the bubble as a result actually believes this and reports it as fact. And of course, once Trump said this, real news sources like the AP immediately came out with stories basically saying this is complete BS. This is wrong. There's no basis in reality for any of the things he's saying. But the interesting thing about the way the bubble covered this is a good half to two thirds of it didn't. They just remained completely silent, never mentioned it, like even... In the link to the Ingram interview, or at least the article about the Ingram interview on foxnews.com, doesn't mention that he said that. And his reasoning for saying this, apart from just trying to galvanize his base like he always does, is actually a little bit interesting. And I think the Vox article about this particular quote actually explains it better than I could. So I'm just going to go ahead and read from it. 
Trump is purposely drawing a straight line between the former vice president and violent extremists where one doesn't exist. His goal, almost certainly, is to stroke fear of a Biden-led America run by lawless radicals, essentially offering the election-friendly message of vote for me to keep you safe and the country from descending into anarchic chaos. So this is exactly what I've been saying about how Trump has been running his campaign. And ironically, how the RNC did their convention, as I mentioned earlier in the show. They said they were going to be the great optimists. We're going to we're going to show you how good America is and how great it's going to become after this pandemic is over and hail Trump. But it ended up being just more of the usual fear-mongering. And Trump is trying to add to this by saying not only are there democratic Antifa thugs in your city and they're coming to your home, but now they're coming on planes bankrolled by rich, stupid, elite, democratic people. And not only are they coming for you in your own city, they're coming from you from outside your city now. Not even your home is safe anymore. Be afraid. And the interesting thing about this approach is that it seems to work very, very well with people who are already going to vote for Trump anyway. But as far as trying to scare people who are on the fence it seems like it might actually have the opposite effect. It might scare people away from Trump because he's saying that all these terrible, terrible things are going to happen and are happening and you need to be afraid of them. And the undecided voters look outside their window and they're like, no, not really. And so that's why you don't really see any support for this completely insane conspiracy theory anywhere other than in the very far alt-right sections of the bubble. So Fox News didn't talk about it. Breitbart actually, believe it or not, carried the AP story examining this quote and calling it baseless. And the mainstream conservative opinion sites like Town Hall and The Federalist and those kind of places didn't have anything on it at all. They didn't even mention the interview that Trump did. And the only other place that I could find a story on this in the bubble, surprise, surprise, was InfoWars. And InfoWars actually had it sort of displayed as a matter-of-fact news story that Trump was saying these things. And not only that, everything that he said that aligned with this conspiracy theory thinking, the whole dark shadows part, the thugs on a plane, the fact that Joe Biden's strings are being pulled... It was all in bold. So basically, they want to make sure that you really pay attention to what that particular quote is saying in that instance. So in any case, InfoWars was the only real conservative bubble outlet that I could find that had that story about thugs on a plane on their website as a fact-based news story. So again... It seems like this conspiracy theory stuff works really well with people who already believe in it, but does not succeed in turning people onto it who don't already have some sort of conspiratorial thinking. So I just thought that was interesting and wanted to share that about the week before this last week, which is what I really wanted to get to, because 
if you have been living under a rock for the last week, something happened that really blew this whole Trump handling of coronavirus wide open, more so than anything else that's come out in the last year. So Bob Woodward, the uh, Washington Post reporter who leaked the Watergate scandal and eventually caused Nixon to resign back in the 70s, is coming out with his second book on the Trump administration. And among the many things that he talks about in the book is the fact that he was actually able to interview Trump for this one, unlike his first Trump book, where Trump basically refused to be interviewed And then he laid out this whole case of how basically how terrible of a person he was as a president. And so this time when Trump heard that he was writing a second book and Woodward reached out for interviews, he agreed to them because apparently he thought he could outsmart him. Apparently he could say, oh, well, if I'm actually doing the interviews this time, they can't accuse me of not doing them and I'll be able to outsmart him and have a sort of gotcha moment. So he did these interviews with Woodward for his new book. And among these new interviews that came out was one in which Trump essentially said in no uncertain terms, I downplayed the coronavirus when it was first starting on purpose because I didn't want to cause a panic. Now, think about that for a second. This is Donald Trump, who has said multiple times that From the very beginning, he knew how serious it was, thus the China closure, which, by the way, apparently wasn't even his idea, and that's a whole other story that I might get into. But he said from the beginning that he knew how dangerous it was from the beginning. He didn't downplay it. He closed off China, which meant he did way more than the Democrats ever did. And basically that we've done the best that we can under his leadership. And we should be very proud of our efforts. So him coming out to Bob Woodward, one of the most respected journalists of all time, really, and essentially saying that he did downplay the virus, it means for that entire time, from February until now, he's just been straight up lying. He's been lying to the American people about how seriously he took it. He's been lying to the American people about whether or not he downplayed it for political purposes. And it's he said that he was doing it to, quote, not start a panic and didn't want to panic people. But I ask you this, what's more important? Being worried about causing a panic among people because of this virus that is serious and deadly and can kill anybody? Or not telling people, downplaying it, saying it's not serious, saying you don't need to wear masks, saying that the health experts are wrong, saying that it's going to go away like a miracle, and it doesn't. And as a result, 200,000 people are dead, the economy's in shambles, we're the laughingstock of the world, and now you really do have a panic because people are afraid to leave their homes because they don't want to contract this deadly virus. And I mean, it's not a panic of craziness in the streets like I'm sure Trump was alluding to, but it's a panic nonetheless. And if you ask me, it's a worse kind than what would have happened if he had just said from the beginning, COVID is a deadly disease and we need to do everything we can to mitigate its spread. But he didn't do that. And because of that, almost 200,000 people are dead. They're saying it might be up to 400,000 by the end of the year. And those who come down with it tend to have 
long-term significant problems. And in the midst of all this, Trump is trying to open the country back up, trying to assure people that there will be a virus vaccine coming before the election and doing everything he can to salvage himself politically from this while not really actually doing anything to address the problem itself, which, as we all know, is classic Trump. He doesn't care about the problem. He just cares about the appearance of there not being a problem. But anyway, I wanted to take a look at just the way that Fox News presented this story the day that it happened, because it came out on Tuesday morning of last week. And when I saw it, I immediately knew that I had to see what was going on in the conservative media world, because this is an absolutely game changing story. This is basically completely delegitimizing everything that Trump has said about the virus up to this point, because it's on tape. It's him. And he is saying, I specifically downplayed it and I meant to downplay it. So it completely changes the narrative on how we view Trump's handling of this virus. Even though we already kind of knew that he had specifically downplayed it, now we actually have irrefutable, undeniable proof, evidence, audio tape of him actually saying this. So he can't deny it. He can't say that he meant something else in the context because there was no context. This was him just completely in the open, saying, I downplayed the virus. So anyway, let's go ahead and take a look at how Fox News reacted to this. So I'm going to start with Tucker Carlson, because we can look at how regular Fox anchors, the non-opinion ones, handled this. But for the most part, it was all just, this happened, this is not a good look for Trump, and move on. So I'm going to start with Tucker Carlson, because... He opened his show with a monologue that I must say ranks among the most hilarious slash out there slash ironic things that I've ever heard Tucker say on his show. So I couldn't paraphrase it any better than he actually said it. So I'm just going to go ahead and play the clip for you. And this is in the context of sort of asking facetiously why Trump would agree to do these interviews if he knew that Bob Woodward would catch him in these gotcha moments. So here you go. Why in the world would he do that? Well, tonight from a source who knows the answer to that mystery, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. It was Lindsey Graham who helped convince Donald Trump to talk to Bob Woodward. Lindsey Graham brokered that meeting. Lindsey Graham even sat in on the first interview between Bob Woodward and the president. How'd that turn out? Now, remember, Lindsey Graham is supposed to be a Republican, so why would he do something like that? You'd have to ask him. But keep in mind that Lindsey Graham has opposed, passionately opposed, virtually every major policy initiative that Donald Trump articulated when he first ran, from ending illegal immigration to pulling back from pointless wars to maintaining law and order at home. Lindsey Graham was against all of that more than many Democrats. So maybe you already know the answer. Do we, Tucker? Do we know the answer? Because it sounds a lot like you're trying to accuse Lindsey Graham of purposely brokering these meetings with Bob Woodward to make him look bad. And, of course, under any sort of fact-checking scrutiny, this theory completely falls apart. 
they asked Lindsey Graham afterwards if he supported the president and his spokespeople said that he fully supports Donald Trump's reelection. And not only that, later on in the next hour on Hannity, Trump actually spoke to Sean Hannity on his show for a good amount of time. And I will get into that. But one of the main points that he made was that his decision to speak with Bob Woodward was his alone. And he made that very clear. He didn't want to drag Lindsey Graham into it. So this entire conspiracy theory, you can't call it anything else about Lindsey Graham trying to purposely make Trump look bad by making him talk to Bob Woodward, who inevitably will make him reveal something damaging. It's almost as crazy as believing that a plane full of black Antifa thugs was bankrolled by rich Democrats to go into crowded cities in the RNC and wreak havoc. It's it's just crazy. So pretty much that was the real highlight of Tucker Carlson. The rest of the hour, he just bashed Lindsey Graham some more and basically defended the president's response to the coronavirus by saying he banned China first. And that's a very common theme that the night would get into as it rolled along. Because the one thing that Trump always harps on when talking about his response to the coronavirus, I banned China first. Nobody wanted me to ban China. They said it was racist, but I did it anyway. And they ended up thanking me for it. And it ended up saving hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of billions of lives. And this approach of defending Trump by defending the China ban and saying that because he did the China ban, that means his coronavirus response was good, extends to pretty much everybody in the conservative bubble, starting with Sean Hannity, who, as we know, comes on right after Tucker Carlson. And he began his show by putting up a very earnest and, dare I say, heartfelt defense of Trump and his coronavirus response. And the centerpiece of this was that he banned all travel from China when the coronavirus popped up there. And my response to that is I'm fairly certain. I mean, I it's it's hard to remember this far back, to be honest, and I could be wrong. This is just what I saw. And I want to emphasize that this is my opinion, but it seemed like at the time If a lot of people remember, we were right in the middle of a big trade war with China at the time, and it seemed like Trump was just looking for an excuse to punish China more because he'd already raised taxes and tariffs on him a bunch of times. And when he saw this coronavirus thing happening, he thought to himself, hey, this could be a great idea. This could be a great opportunity for me to punish China even more. So I'm just going to go ahead and stop all travel from them and say it's about the coronavirus. But in reality, it's about my trade war. So again, that's my opinion. I'm not sure if I'm right about that or not. But it was kind of fishy, the whole timing of the China ban with regards to the coronavirus. Because at the time, all the health experts in the United States, including Dr. Fauci, were all saying that the coronavirus wasn't that contagious and we didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't going to get here. And obviously, we all know how that went and that at the time, Trump was trying to actively downplay the coronavirus, thanks to Bob Woodward. But that whole sort of angle that Hannity tries to take when he's defending Trump 
doesn't hold up when you consider that and when you consider what he said to Bob Woodward about downplaying the coronavirus. Because if he was downplaying the coronavirus, why would he order a ban on China? If he was downplaying the coronavirus, why would he assemble a task force? And let's uh, talk about this task force, shall we? So he said it was a panel of experts in the medical and the scientific field. So let's go ahead and take a look at who was on this panel, shall we? Well, the leader, we'll start with that, was Mike Pence. Is Mike Pence an epidemiologist? Is he a virologist? Is he at all experienced in the ways of combating a pandemic or in any medical field whatsoever? No, he is not. Let's take a look at some of the other members. Alex Azar. He's Secretary of Health and Human Services. He's a former top executive whose company came under scrutiny not too long ago for not combating rising drug prices and maybe even contributing to them. So he's totally qualified to be on there, right? He's the one who tried to scale back the Affordable Care Act and is basically responsible for all the borderline concentration camps that house children who are separated from their parents at the border. So he's totally qualified to be on a coronavirus advisory panel, isn't he? Here's another one. Kenneth T. Cuccinelli. He's an immigration official. He leads the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. He also works as the acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security. He's probably best known for vehemently defending Trump's separation of children from their families at the border on Fox News. And now he's on the coronavirus task board. And let's not forget Steve Mnuchin, who, again, has no background in any sort of epidemiology or virology or medical field whatsoever. He's just the Treasury Secretary. And I can sort of understand him being on the board just because he does control the money. But in any case, it seems like a good portion of the people on this advisory board, and I will say the other people are people like Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci, who are actually experts in the field. But the fact that so much of the board, this advisory board that's supposed to be tackling how we're going to handle the coronavirus pandemic, is made up of people who have no experience whatsoever in this field and in some cases have actively tried to hamstring efforts at healthcare in the United States. It just completely hamstrings this argument that Handy's trying to make that Trump's response to the coronavirus was fantastic because he put together this task force, which was led by Mike Pence. He doesn't know anything about a pandemic response. In fact, Trump dismantled the pandemic response team that Obama had left behind. We don't know why. I assume it's because he wants to just take a huge dump on everything Obama ever did because he hates him. And according to Michael Cohen's new book, he hates him because he's black. But in any case, this argument that Hannity tried to make at the beginning of his show, it just doesn't hold any water when you put it up to any sort of scrutiny. But once he was done defending Trump, he then turned to a relentless attack on Biden specifically, but other Democrats also. And they're still playing clips from February, you know, back when everyone said that COVID wasn't a danger. 
saying that COVID's not a danger, risks is low, masks aren't needed. And there was a specific Biden clip that he played multiple times that said, there's no need to panic over COVID. And then cuts to Trump saying on the Woodward tapes that he didn't want to start a panic. So Hannity here is basically giving a false equivalency to Trump saying he didn't want to panic and Biden saying there shouldn't be panic, when in reality, the context behind both of these statements was completely different. And the interesting thing about the way they presented this is that it didn't seem like they were trying to defend what Trump did. They weren't denying what Trump did. They weren't denying what he said on the tapes. Obviously, that would be stupid because it's actually there in the audio for everyone to hear. But they were playing very specific parts of both the interview and of things that Biden had said back in February to support this viewpoint that Trump not Trump downplaying the coronavirus because he didn't want to panic was a good thing. And he didn't downplay the virus on the inside. He knew how dangerous it was. He told Woodward that. But the problem is that doesn't change the fact that he did downplay it on the outside. And as a direct result of him downplaying this virus, 200,000 people are dead. And I'm just going to leave it on that. And Trump actually came on to Hannity's show later on and gave an interview in which he said pretty much exactly what you'd expect him to say. When he was asked about Bob Woodward, he called Woodward's release of the tapes a constant hit job when he was asked about covid he said it was china's fault they sent it to us almost as though there was some kind of sinister intent in china sending the virus to the united states almost like it was concocted in a lab like he initially thought it was and accused them of doing and on the initial response he said everyone was going around saying it was no problem and if I hadn't have done anything, we could have lost two and a half million people. And yes, we could have lost two and a half million people. But the fact that you did almost nothing doesn't change the fact that we lost 200,000 when if we'd had a rapid, unified federal response, we probably would have lost about a tenth of that. But Trump, being Trump, said, if you look at our fatality numbers, it's amazing what we've done. And I mean, I guess he's right about that. It's amazing that despite having one of the most advanced healthcare systems in the world and being the most technologically advanced country in the world, we have more COVID deaths than anybody else. That is amazing. But Hannity then said something that actually almost made me throw the remote at the TV, which was that losing tens of thousands of Americans in a pandemic is not uncommon. If you look at flu numbers and multiply them by five, you have more deaths than we do here. And I guess my response to that is, yeah, but why would you use that as a basis for how well we're handling COVID? Why would you take the flu response and multiply it by five, except to have that number equal more than the COVID number? And that is the only reason why he specifically said the flu and multiply it by five. And number two, yeah, it's the flu multiplied. This is not a good thing. This is bad. This is something that we need to take seriously. And we need to mask and socially distance. 
and have a unified response to it. But apparently, it's just the flu times five. No big deal. And Hannity went into other topics with Trump, too. He talked about Biden saying he's been giving the questions and he's been reading the answers. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean, but yes, that's true. He went on to praise Putin and President Xi and Kim Jong-un, saying they're much smarter than the media. And once again, in one of my biggest pet peeves of the right right now, he slammed Joe Biden again for using the teleprompter. I still don't get all the hate for the teleprompter. And I'm just going to stop talking about it because I go on a rant every time I do. So on the protesters, on Democrats, he said they're against guns. They're against religion. They let protesters in the streets without masks. Except if you look at the protests, the vast majority of them, if not all of them, are wearing some sort of face covering. And then while he was talking about the protests, he mentioned the mail-in ballot conspiracy. And yet again... He said a very specific number. He said, they're sending in 80 million unsolicited ballots. And he harped on this number over and over again, just like he did, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago when he said something like 51 million unsolicited ballots are going out. So yet again, I decided to go ahead and look up this number to see where it was coming from. And turns out AP already did it. They looked up this number specifically and found out that, like the previous number, it had no basis in reality. No real statistical source mentioned this number anywhere that I could find or that AP could find. And I believe AP, they have a lot more sources than I do. And it was just completely made up number. And in fact, the article that I read on AP basically said what he's probably referring to is the 41 or so million ballots that are going to be going out as absentee ballots for people who signed up for them in those states. So, again, that argument just completely doesn't hold water. It's 100% made up. So that was Trump on Hannity. And then they moved on to Laura Ingram. And Laura Ingram, right off the bat, accused Biden and the Democrats of projecting fear and anti-American propaganda. They accused the Democrats of portraying America as, quote, a country that deserves suffering and pain. So she's not even talking about Trump's response to the coronavirus at this point. She's actually talking about the protests. And she showed a clip of Biden commentating on institutional racism and basically saying that it's good that it's in the open. And her response to this, and it's a classic, was, if this country were racist, would we have elected a black president twice? And I've heard this argument before. Basically, the problem with it is it automatically assumes that there's no such thing as institutional racism or racism anywhere below the highest levels of government. Because people who have this argument basically say, well, you guys got your black president. That means racism doesn't exist anymore. We can do away with such things as the Voting Rights Act and anti-Jim Crow laws. We don't need them anymore. Racism is gone. Everyone's in a circle holding hands, singing Kumbaya. But that's not how the real world works. Racism is so institutionalized that we've become numb to it. And this is one of the main things that these protests are about. But anyway, 
Ingram went on to accuse the left of taking over universities and spoon-feeding children anti-Americanism. Because if you're not a Republican, you're not American. Basically saying they want you to accept defeat before a single vote is counted. Basically saying the Democrats have given up on America and have just ceded their party to the radical left Antifa anarchists. Again, completely BS. I've been through it before. I won't bore you with the details. So after this initial monologue about the protests, Laura Ingram brought on a guest. I don't remember specifically who he was, but they started talking finally about Trump's response to the pandemic. And they showed the clip of Trump saying, I don't want panic. I want the country to be calm. I'm a cheerleader. And that's why I downplayed it. And they were basically arguing that by him saying this, this means that he responded the right way. And if it wasn't for him, millions of people would have died and all the usual stuff we hear. But the problem with this argument is that by saying this, by saying that he downplayed it specifically, Trump is essentially admitting that all the people who died, the close to 200,000 of them at this point, died on his watch and because he didn't do more. But the guest asked about the whistleblower, and that was another big story that came out this week. The whistleblower basically saying that Trump's CDC and the people in the health organizations specifically were told by the White House to downplay the coronavirus and to basically make the statistics look better for the president. And my favorite quote from this and I'll end the Ingram segment of this on it, was he said something to the effect of, why did the Democrats try to protect who the whistleblower was? Because that's how whistleblowers work. Whistleblower means that you are able to blow the whistle on these bad things that are happening and not have to worry about personal repercussions. And this, again, is part of the sort of Mafia Don mentality that Trump has run the government with. And we've heard him many times say something to the effect of, well, those whistleblowers, I wish I knew who they were. In the old days, they wouldn't have gotten away clean. Stuff would have happened to them and things like that. But I thought it was just funny that he asked, why didn't they reveal who the whistleblower was? Because you're not supposed to. They are literally protected under a law specifically designed to protect whistleblowers. And I believe leaking out the name of a whistleblower is a felony that gets you jail time. So anyway, moving on to one last thing I'll talk about before I move on to the weirdest thing I saw this week. Fear mongering. And I've talked about it a lot on this show before, but I want to give a specific example of what I saw during this week. And actually, I believe it was during the commercial break of Laura Ingram's show that sort of hits home exactly how the Republicans are able to control the way their party thinks. They say Democrats are the party of fear, and they harped on that a lot in the RNC. But the commercials that I saw on Fox News say otherwise. In just one commercial break, I saw two commercials back to back that basically all but confirmed that Republicans run their party based on fear. 
The first one was a commercial for something called TheReturn.org. And it was an ad for some sort of Christian right get-together that's happening, I think, in the Capitol. But the gist of the ad itself was basically that we have strayed too far from God's path and his wrath will be upon us soon and already is. And they showed all these clips of some of the violence and the protests, again, sort of pushing that narrative that the protests are in and of themselves violent when, of course, they're not. And to come to this event that they're going to be holding, which I'm sure, of course, will not feature masks or social distancing, but to come to this event and pray for the soul of America. So I've talked multiple times on the show about how the alt-right and the conservative bubble use religion as a tool to sort of keep you in that mindset to be constantly afraid. But the second commercial that was on after that really sort of ran this point home. It was a commercial for something called the Second Amendment Foundation. Right away, we see all of these clips of violent protests and people getting beat up and fires and anarchy and just America is under attack. And a big part of the commercial was dedicated to trying to get you to become a Second Amendment first responder. And it never really went into any detail on what that meant other than maybe you get their newsletter. But not only did they encourage you to become a Second Amendment first responder, they encouraged you to get everyone you know to become a Second Amendment first responder. So again, trying to draw more people into the bubble through fear. And let's think about for a second what they might possibly mean by a Second Amendment first responder. And my interpretation of that is to say that if they're coming for your guns, we'll be the first ones to fight back. Basically saying, if things go south, if we don't like what we're seeing, we're going to take up arms against the United States government. So I just thought it was interesting that you'd see commercials like that on Fox News in the bubble reinforcing all these fears and all these stereotypes and all the viewpoints that they want you to have against the other side and against the government. Oh, and sort of low-key insinuating that the only way to defend yourself against these threats is to take up arms against your own people. But we don't have to talk about that. We can just go ahead and move right along to the weirdest thing that I saw this week. So this week's award doesn't necessarily go to any single source so much as to just the bubble in general and how they reacted to a certain story. So I assume that a lot of you listening to this probably have Netflix subscriptions. And if you have a Netflix subscription and you read up on it at all, I'm sure you're probably aware of the controversy surrounding the movie that just came onto it named Cuties. So for those of you who don't know or who don't have a Netflix account or who don't care, Cuties is a French film that debuted at Sundance, I think back in February, to massive critical acclaim, basically saying that it was a provocative and intelligent look at the sexualization of young girls. But the problem with this film, now that it's out and everyone's seen it, is there are a lot of scenes in this movie that rather than sort of comment on sexualizing young girls actually seem to sexualize young girls 
So the whole premise of the movie is that there's this 11-year-old girl who's part of a strict Muslim family, and she sort of finds a creative and emotional outlet in joining and forming this dance crew with other girls her age. But the problem is that a lot of the dance sequences are shot and directed in a way that, let's just say, they shouldn't be. I've seen some of these scenes myself in researching this issue, and A, I haven't actually seen the movie, so full disclaimer, I haven't actually seen the movie, so I don't know what to think of it, but after watching these particular scenes that everyone's angry about, I don't want to watch this movie, no matter how thought-provoking or provocative the rest of it might be, because the scenes of the dancing alone made me literally physically uncomfortable to watch. They basically, I'll spare you the gory details, but they basically shoot these dance sequences with these 11, 12-year-old girls as if they were fully grown adults and it was some sort of sexy music video. So basically, a pedophile's dream come true for these particular scenes. And if you ask the critics, a lot of them say they're shot that way specifically to comment on how wrong it is for us to sort of put sexuality into girls this young. And again, I haven't watched the whole movie. I'm not going to, so I'm not going to try and comment on what the director is trying to say. I'm just going by what I've seen. But in any case, when the right-wing media bubble got a hold of this movie, they had some real fun trying to figure out ways that they could put this on the Democrats. And Laura Ingram, as always, was a prime example of how they tried to do this. She argued that just the fact that this film was released at all, let alone the fact that it was praised by critics, in her opinion, democratic elitist critics, saying that just the depiction of this at all equals endorsement of pedophilia. And not only this, she also accused the Netflix CEO himself of being a pedophile, saying, I don't know who else but pedophiles and creeps would want to make a dime off this garbage. And she even went so far as to accuse the Obamas of somehow being complicit with child pornography and exploitation and sexuality of minors because they had a relationship with Netflix. She said that their silence meant that they were endorsing it. She also introduced this topic with a graphic on the screen that said, Biden's friends and child exploitation. Again, not sure how not commenting at all on a video makes you yourself a supporter of child porn. And she even ended the segment by saying, Democrats will always side with pornographers over the regular people. Well, pornographers are regular people too, number one. And number two, this isn't porn. It's true. These scenes that everyone's angry about are extraordinarily uncomfortable to watch. But maybe that's the point. Again, I'm not making judgments because I haven't seen the movie. But they are. They're making these judgments. And they're trying to immediately turn them around on the Democrats. And nowhere is this 
more certain or more hilarious than with QAnon. Yeah, that's right. Our good buddies at QAnon have taken the fact that this movie came out on Netflix and was praised by critics, and because Democrats aren't really saying anything about it, and actually, a lot of Democrats have said something about it. I believe it was Ilan Omar who actually advocated that the producers of the movie should be investigated for child pornography. So there are plenty of Democrats speaking out on this subject. But if you ask QAnon, this is living, undeniable, irrefutable proof that the cabal exists. The fact that this movie came out and was allowed to come out and is itself child pornography means that the cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiliac elites not only exist, but that they're trying to turn everybody into Satanist pedophiles like themselves. And this is something that has been reported on a couple of the conservative sites, but in particular on InfoWars, which, as we know, is a nice kind of home for all of these conspiracy theories. Even though they have said in the past that QAnon is a fringe theory and called it crazy. But in this particular instance, when it makes the Democrats look bad, or at least when they think it makes the Democrats look bad, they are 100% all in embracing it. And they even go so far as to say that there's communist subtext inside cuties. And they show a clip of the movie where the girls are dancing and on the wall behind them, there's a little red poster of a hammer and sickle. And I, I don't, I won't go into that further, but <laughs> yeah, this is what's happening, folks. They really are taking this movie and trying to pin it on the Democrats and saying that they support pedophilia. And QAnon adding to that by saying that this is proof that the pedophiliac cabal of Satanists exists and is actively trying to turn everyone into them. This is definitely the weirdest thing that I saw this week. All right, folks, if you made it this far, I want to thank you very much for listening. And hopefully I won't have any more delays and I'll be able to put up one episode a week at least up until the election. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to subscribe and follow me on all my social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I will be posting any sort of updates that I have both on myself and on the show on those social media channels. So feel free to subscribe to them if you want to know what's going on. Have a good one, folks, and I'll see you next week.